compounding is magic, right? It's like your money has two best friends. It's compounding and it is time. It's like the more time that you have, and if you're able to compound grow your money, uh, that's how you're going to reach a million dollars plus in 30 or 40 years. This show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we're talking about investing for our future. With options like the 401k, the HSA, the IRA, the 529, the 457, the 403b, good God, there are too many letters and numbers to make sense of all this. As young parents, where do we even start, man? So uh, our guest today is going to help us make sense of all this investing madness. Andy Wong is here with us today. He is the managing partner at Runnymede Capital Management and the host of the Inspired Money podcast. He has been named among the Investopedia 100 Most Influential Advisors, the Top 100 Most Social Financial Advisors by Brightscope, and has appeared on Reuters TV, the Huffington Post, Barron's, and Forbes. Outside of his financial advising world, Andy is a father of three and loves playing the Hawaiian guitar. Maybe we can get him to do a little bit today. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Andy. Oh, man, there's a lot of confusing numbers, and then we'll confuse everybody by having two Andys on the screen. Exactly. Let's confuse and then confuse a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) So, Andy, there's, there's a lot of young families that listen to this show, and a lot of them have debt. So what are your thoughts on paying off that debt versus investing? Well, I think when it comes to investing, there's no right or wrong approach and it's not one size fits all. And I was thinking about this because you mentioned that I have three kids and it's sort of like parenting too. It's like you try to do all this research and figure out how can you be the best parent, but then each kid is different. So you don't know. And I think that Investing and paying off debt is a little bit similar in that way, that you don't just open up a book and say, this is the strategy that fits everybody. Because it matters, like, what's your cash flow? What kind of debt do you have? And, like, are you going to sleep well at night if you have debt or not have debt? So everybody's different in that way. So it does take some, it requires taking a look at yourself, knowing yourself, um, in addition to just looking at the numbers. I love that. I love that piece of advice because, you know, there's a lot of um, fans of Dave Ramsey that listen to the show. And um, a lot of that is just, hey, here, here's what's in the book. This is what you should do. And everything else is maybe not the right way to go. So looking at it and kind of taking an objective view to, towards your situation and what fits well for you and also where you're emotionally feeling. I, I love that point. That's that's a, that's a really good point. So, you know, let, let's talk about some of the biggest challenges and and reasons that people are not investing. I look at some of these articles about the amount of people, uh, amount of money that people have in their retirement. And, you know, you working in the industry, I'm sure it's your your mission to help people figure that out. So what are the biggest challenges or reasons that people aren't putting their money into retirement right now? Well, there are so many reasons, right? I would say one of the biggest ones is that people just say that they they don't have enough money to save and invest. I mean, right? Month to month, you're just trying to pay your bills. And if you're struggling to pay your monthly bills, it's it's just not within your realm of thinking. Like, how can I invest? How can I plan for my future? 
Um, but I think that your your story is inspiring because you're teaching your listeners that it is doable. Um, you know, I think in most cases, it's like you've got your income and you've got your expenditures. All of us have room on the expenditure side to make some choices. And, you know, there, there are definitely places that we can trim. Most of us can anyway. Yeah. So it's a lot about just priorities, right? If it's a big priority for you, things might just have to adjust in your budget a little bit, right? It's about priorities. And I love the advice that, you know, before you even sit down and budget and try to figure out how much you're going to spend where, just track. Mm -hmm. Because tracking, uh, you know, is, is like a much lower barrier to entry. It's less um, threatening. It's like just track where you're spending don't get too like bogged down in the details. Just write down like the big items. It's like your house, you know, it's your rent or your mortgage, your food. It's like three big items, your car. Um, then you can try to see, you know, wh what are the other things that, uh, that um, where, where is your money going? And inevitably, if you're tracking, it's human nature that you're going to try to improve right? I mean, you don't even have to try too hard. Once you are watching to see where is your money going, then you start seeing things. And, um, you know, that's really powerful because you see, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm paying $200 a month for cable and I'm really not watching these movie channels. I don't need them. You see where you can trim the fat and then you can make an impact. And those monthly bills um, that you're paying, especially for things that you're not using, I mean, that's that's easy, right? And you cut those and that's savings every month. So over the course of 12 months, it adds up. Absolutely. Well, let, let's talk about some of the ways that people can save for their retirement. Some of these acronyms and uh, numbers and letters and confusing things. So let's start with our let's start with our 401k. So what are the benefits of your workplace 401k? Well, I love the 401k because that's usually the easiest for everybody. And I think that the statistic is that 80% of Americans or 79% of Americans work for a company that offers them a 401k retirement plan. And, you know, it's great because the contributions, the money that you put into your 401k, you're kind of getting like a double tax break in that the money that you put in doesn't count towards your gross income, right? So whatever money you put in, it's like the government doesn't see that right now. Um, it lowers the amount of... Uh, of income that you're paying taxes on. And it's also you're, you're, you're able to grow that money tax deferred. So you don't pay taxes until you take money out. So that is great. And then the other thing is that it's automatic. So you're setting like what percentage of your paycheck are you putting into the 401k plan? And that's the, I think that's one of the best parts because, um, it becomes automatic. You don't have to think about it. You can put it on autopilot and in most cases, that's money that you don't miss once you you set it and you can forget it. Um, and of course, I mean, the most obvious thing is that if you are fortunate enough to work for a company that gives you a company match, then you've got to at least participate up to the company match because otherwise you're leaving money on the table. You're, you're you know, that's guaranteed money that um, is going to end up in your retirement account. Yeah, that's free money. Yeah, we've um, we've got a match at my office, and I've been taking advantage of that for the past five or six years. And 
it piles up, man. Absolutely. So I completely agree with you. Take advantage of it. Uh, make it automated. Do it fast. Oh, automation's the best part, right? Because life gets in the way. It's like you want to go out. <laughs> you want to go out with friends. You want to go out with your wife. You want to enjoy yourself a little bit. Or, or inevitably, your car needs to be fixed. I mean, I've, I've been going through that recently. We have a 2009 minivan that probably should be replaced soon. But like all these unexpected bills keep... Um, arising. So life gets in the way. So it's important to have that automatic, automated part. It, it, it's being socked away before you can even get to it. And that <laughs> that counts for a lot. That's the point. Yeah. I mean, you you do it and you just forget that you even had that money, right? So you, don't, you wouldn't have spent it on, on, on other things. Exactly. Yeah. It's good when you don't miss it. <laughs> so there's, um, there's other terms for, for folks that work in a workplace, um, but they aren't using a 401k. There's 403b, 457. W- what's the difference between those those three? 401ks, 403bs, 457s. Yeah, why, why, why can they come up with the better names for these things? It would be come much on. better if they came up with uh, <laughs> easier names to remember. Uh, yeah, and then we'll talk about 529s too. There you go. Yeah, I think for for most employees, for most plan participants, those who are using and utilizing the retirement plan, the numbers aren't that important. I mean, it's like the 401k is the most popular. Uh, It's just a retirement plan, retirement savings plan. It can be a profit sharing plan. It comes in different flavors. The 403b typically is offered by a nonprofit. Mm. So it depends on what type of company or entity that you work for. And the 457 is like if you're working for a local government or municipality. Uh, you know, there are slight differences, I think, in the tax law or some subtleties in like I think the four fifty seven, you don't have you don't have penalties if you take out money early, whereas with the four oh one K and the four oh three B there are. But to the participant it doesn't really, really matter. There are slight differences. But the key is, if you have a retirement plan offered to you, you should be taking taking advantage of it. And I mentioned that 80% of of employees in the United States have access to a 401k or some form of retirement plan. Sadly, I think it's a a much lower number of those who are participating. Mm -hmm. You know, I see different numbers. I see like 30 to 40% uh, are taking advantage so there's a big gap there is there is there like a hack then to just like you know the the difference between that like 80 percent are available and only well, let's just say for example 30 percent are taking advantage of it what can we do to what can we do to close that gap besides the knowledge that we're sharing today obviously is there is there a quick and easy hack that i could just do to make this this happen for me well the elect the the hack is the hack is that you have to elect to like contribute and actually the corporation's have seen that. And in recent years, more and more companies are doing an auto-enrollment so that there's a default. If the employee does not elect to contribute, they'll actually build it into the plan documents that, you know, after a month of employment, it automatically happens. And then the, oh. the, there's a default investment option, usually a target date fund. So if the employee does nothing, rather than having no participation at all, it happens automatically without their even even knowing practically. Um, and yeah, that's become a very popular option in 401k plans because the companies want their 
employees to be retirement ready. They don't want them to have, you know, they don't want them to reach age 65 and say that I'm getting old. I really don't want to work here anymore, but I have no choice but to work here. Um, I don't have the option to retire. The companies don't want that. So the companies um, have this auto enrollment feature that uh, has become very popular. That makes sense. You almost have to opt out then to exactly. To, That's to how it works. That's how it works. Yeah, you that actually you do have to opt out, and <laughs> everyone knows that. Usually, the guy who's not paying attention at all, he's not going to opt out. <laughs> he's neither opting in nor opting out. So oh, it's that'd better. Be funny. To, Somebody didn't pay attention for like twenty years, and they're like, "Oh, I got a million bucks in here. I, where, what's that?" Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the whole idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's cool. a nice surprise. Well, let's talk about that million bucks. So, so you know, we we've heard you've heard this term a lot: compound interest. It's something that's the eighth wonder of the world. Tell us what that is and, and why people need to understand what that is. Compounding is magic, right? It's like your money has two best friends. It's compounding, and it is time. It's like the more time that you have, and if you're able to compound, grow your money. Uh, that's how you're going to reach a million dollars plus in 30 or 40 years. So the idea is a, the idea is a simple one. It's um, you know, it's it, it's not just a, a straight line matter of uh, if you contribute a thousand dollars, if you make four uh, percent, you've got forty dollars. Each year, you're making interest on your interest, and that's where the magic happens. Um, so yeah, compound interest is powerful, but if you're investing in stocks and bonds, then hopefully you're comp, then hopefully you've got compound growth, right? There's risk there. There's variability, but if you can grow your money at 7% every year on average, that's going to be um, very powerful. And, you know, we've seen very, very low interest rates. Things are getting better now than they were five years ago since, um, you know, there was a point where it was close to 0% interest rate. At least now you could get 1% to 2% pretty risk-free. But if you can grow investing in the stock market in, you know, 5% plus, 5 to 10%, that's where you're going to see the magic because um, compound growth. Yeah, the growth on the growth. I love it. Your money making money, right? <laughs> we always use the analogy of the tortoise and the hare. It's like... Usually boring is good. I mean, everybody, the water cooler chats are always like, oh, I invested in this biotech company that has this promising um, drug that's going to cure everything. And, you know, that's extremely high risk. And odds are that people invest and maybe the stock goes up, but then suddenly, oh, the results weren't that good. And comes crashing down. Usually boring's good. And that, that comes back to the power of compounding. It's like if you can find companies that grow, you know, 10% every year, they're growing their earnings. That if they can grow their earnings every year consistently, then you know, those are the boring companies that are worth owning for 30 or 40 years. Because if they're if the company can grow earnings consistently quarter after quarter, year after year then shareholders will be rewarded. We like to call those Kerchunker companies because quarter after quarter, year after year, the earnings just grow. Kerchunk, kerchunk, kerchunk. And <laughs> as investors, you could sleep better at night because of that consistency. Or if, if you're an index investor, then you own the S&P 500. And S&P 500 earnings are pretty good. Um, 
and it all comes down to earnings do matter. That's great. I love that kerchunking companies. I'm I'm stealing that one. Kerchunk, kerchunk, (laughs) kerchunk. That's great. Well, let's talk about outside of the uh, 401k, you've got the IRA. So can you tell us the difference between we've heard traditional, we've heard Roth. How do I choose one or the other? other? What's what's the way to go here, man? We're all lost. Oh, my gosh. Well, again, you asked me at the start, it's like, how, how should you pay down debt? Should you invest? And it, it it comes back again. It's like you have different choices. So hopefully, right? I think that the some of the suggested guidelines are that it's like put three to six months away as an emergency fund so that you can withstand um, surprises, mm-hmm. right? Like you need new brakes on your car or you lost your job. Um, that way, you know, you're not severely impacted that you're prepared for rainy days. And once you have that, then you can make a choice. All right, pay down some debt, do some investing. My approach is usually all or nothing is really tough because there's a sacrifice made where opportunity costs one way or the other. So usually I like a hybrid. It's like you do a little bit of both. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the same with 401k or IRA, there are benefits, there are pros and cons to each. Um, I, I love the 401k, like I said, because it's offered to most people, it's automatic. Um, they're actually pretty high contribution limits, so you can contribute a lot annually. If you have extra, then yes, then you have the choice of investing or opening up an IRA account and you have some more flexibility there because you're not limited to an investment menu of fund choices and ETFs, hopefully. Um, with the IRA, you can invest in any, anything you want, practically, right? You can own individual stocks, you could own individual bonds, you could own mutual funds or ETFs. Um, kind of the, the world is your oyster, and there are contribution limits there, but they tend to be lower than the uh, 401k. So it's about choice. And like I said, I like a hybrid approach. I think that it's good to sort of use different vehicles because there are pros and cons to each. I'm sure that we can talk about Roth and regular IRA too, but yeah, it's similar. It's, yeah, so um, just, just, just talk about the general difference between the traditional and the Roth. So one is, one is pre-tax, one is post-tax. Is that pretty much the, the difference? That's the main difference. It's like, do you want to pay your tax now or do you want to pay your tax later? Mm. And I think that the, the longer your investment horizon, the younger that you are, it makes a lot of sense to participate in the Roth. It's like you pay your taxes now and you grow your money tax-free so that 30 or 40 years from now, that money has compounded and your tax was already paid. So when you take that money out, you don't have the liability of having to pay taxes. I've heard the... Um, analogy that it's kind of like with the regular IRA because it's tax deferred. You don't pay the taxes going in, you're growing tax free, but when you take the money out, you have to pay the taxes. So therefore, that money is not 100% yours, Hmm. right? It's like the government owns a little bit of that money. And it's a little bit like having a mortgage because you're looking at that pot of money and you say, well, that's my money, but it's not all mine. I'm going to have to pay some to the government. You can make that analysis and choice. Do I pay the tax up front? That's kind of like making the choice to pay your mortgage down now so that you can be debt free. 
And with the Roth, it's like, that's your money. You own all of that. You can account for all of that. And you don't have to pay anything to the government. So do you like a little bit of, um, I guess, pre-tax, post-tax diversification then? Do you think that's a good strategy? I like that strategy because there are so many variables that it's difficult to know the future. It's difficult to forecast, like, are there going to be changes to the tax law? You don't know, right? Congress could make changes um, that could impact you 30 or 40 years from now. And how does one even guess at like what that's going to look like? So I like having, it's like you participate in a little of both. There are pros and cons to both. Um, it's diversification. It's like, uh, just like with investments, if you're diversified with your investments, you also diversify your retirement type of accounts because you don't know exactly what the world's going to look like in 40 years. And then that way you've kind of, you're, you're, you're covered in different ways. And what I also like is that you can think about, they call it asset location. So with the Roth, because you've paid the taxes up front, you should be investing in assets that have a higher growth, higher expected growth. So you could in invest in small cap companies, for example. And uh, over time, history has shown that small cap companies grow at a faster clip. And because of that, chances are that it can appreciate more. And then in your IRA, your regular IRA, you know, you could have lower growth um, holdings. And that way, you're maximizing your tax benefit. We'll be back to the show after a word from our sponsors. Thank you for considering our sponsors, everybody. Let's jump back into the show. Let's talk about our kids. So, you know, a lot of people listen to the show. I said young parents, and they are considering, okay, I'm looking at this $1.5 trillion of student debt, and it looks like madness. How do I save my kids from this? How do I save for my kids' future college costs so they don't deal with this craziness? Yes. With three kids, this is, that is my <laughs> real nightmare. <laughs> Top of mind. That's the real, that is the real nightmare that I am living. That's why I come into the office every day, because I know that I've got tuition bills <laughs> coming much sooner than I, I can even imagine. Oh, man. How old are your kids again? They're 11, 8, and 6. 11, 8, and 6. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's coming up. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> so how are yeah. you preparing then? Well, I'm using the hybrid approach again. Um, at our house, we have 529 accounts for the kids um, that we can contribute to. I'm fortunate that my parents, the grandparents, will also contribute some money into the 529 plans. And the 529s are great because they're they're pretty easy to monitor and they're easy to implement. And I, I like that there is a tax benefit. I mean, I, I kind of look at them as if it's an IRA account because as long as you are using that money for qualified educational expenses, you're not paying any tax. And um, that's a good thing. I mean, if tuitions were not so high and increasing like much faster than inflation, then maybe you make then maybe you're worried about what if I'm putting too much money because the money that I don't use for educational expense, I have to pay a 10% penalty on. Sadly, that is not a concern because I feel like no matter how much money you have in there, it's not going to be enough. So yeah, I'm, I'm just worried about like, 
how can I put more? How can I sock away more in there and then just uh, hope that the markets are favorable yeah. <laughs> for the longest period of time so that it's compounding at a good growth rate? So, you, so you've got three kids. So let's say somebody's listening, they have more than one child. Should they open up a couple of different 529s? Should they just have one? You can go either way. Um, and the reason for that is that if you just have one, you're allowed to use unused money in the 529 and, you know, give it to a sibling or use it for a sibling. Um, we set up three in our family because what happens if one and two, you use the whole thing and number three, you don't have enough. We I like the idea that each child has his or her own. And then that way we can keep track of like how much each child has. But then we have the flexibility still that it could be used for a sibling or somebody else. That makes sense. That makes sense. So, so let's say we're doing pretty well and we got, uh, we got enough money for our 401k, our IRA and, and our 529. Um, I've heard about doing Roth IRAs for your kids. How, how does that work? We talked about the benefit of the Roth and like the longer that you have, the better. So the Roth IRA is like really well suited to young kids because they have longer to invest. And if you pay the tax now, your child should have a very low tax bracket and isn't paying a lot of taxes. So pay it up front and then grow it for even a longer period of time. The caveat is that your child needs to have some earned income to qualify for setting up a Roth IRA. So, you know, it's good. It's great if they're doing some babysitting or have a little side business set up. I know that your children seem like I know that you have one in particular who could be like a future YouTube star. So she may be monetizing <laughs> and making like a lot of money by the time she's 18. Who knows? Yeah. We're working on that. We're working on that Roth IRA for her right now. She's being trying to, <laughs> she's getting more and more involved in the business this year. So we'll see how that works. <laughs> yeah, she's a consultant, too. That's right. <laughs> to your side your, well, she's, your a, side she's, a, she's a star lately she's been featured on the show and all sorts of fun stuff so we're, we're trying to figure it out but yeah we want to make sure we're doing it the right way so that's official why official correspondent absolutely for marriage kids and money <laughs> 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 yeah she can be part of your business and can earn income and set up a roth ira and start socking money away absolutely. and uh, yeah it's really good that's cool. So are there any other routes that we're not thinking about? We got 529, we got the Roth IRA, anything else that, um, you know, is advantageous for us, or at least tax advantageous for us, for our kids to save for the future? Well, there are a couple of things. And now that we're talking, my mind's like all over the place. Um, <laughs> one thing that we, <laughs> we just take a step back for a minute. It's like, uh, we talked about Roth versus regular IRA. One thing that we didn't talk about is that many people in their 401k plan that they also have that option that they can they can do pre-tax or ah, yeah. uh, Roth. Absolutely. You know, that's 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 a popular option now within 401k plans. So it's it's really the same thinking that applies. It's like, do you pay the tax now or do you pay the tax later? And um, one of the good things though with the 401k plan is that with a Roth IRA, with the Roth IRA, depending on your income, like it phases out that you cannot contribute into, into a Roth IRA if you're making too much money. That does not apply to a 401k, a Roth 401k. So that's one thing to keep in mind. So if you're a high earner, you can sock away, like pay the tax now and put money away into the Roth 401k 
and grow that tax-free. Um, what, what else were we talking about? Oh, back to the, uh, to the 529s. Mm-hmm. Beyond the 529, you could also open up like a UTMA account, which is a custodial account. Um, so there's the choice. It's like, do you go 529 or UTMA? Again, no hard and fast rules. I like the 529 um, because of the benefits that we talked about. The UTMA is a little bit, it's an older vehicle. Um, you know, you can open that up and where the 529 is sort of like a 401k and that usually the state sponsor, whoever's sponsoring the 529, they're giving you investment choices and you have some limitations there. With the UTMA, you could own stocks. It's like an IRA in that you can own stocks, you could own bonds, you can buy whatever you want. There's more flexibility there. Um, but there are things to keep in mind because the UTMA is harder for the parent to control, like how the money is going to be used. That money officially, depending on what state you live in, gets turned over to your child at age 18 or 21. And there's no, like you lose control. <laughs> so you better teach your kids responsibility and how to handle money because, that part of it you cannot control. Um, that money becomes your child's money, and they technically could spend it on whatever they want. Uh, and there's not a there's not an in, there's not a tax uh, incentive as with the five twenty nine that if it's spent on education you're not paying taxes, and if you don't then you have to pay taxes. With the UTMA, I think that you you have to pay income tax either way. So that incentive to go towards education is not built in. Hmm. So just some things to um, keep in mind. I love all these options. This is great. And, you know, sometimes hearing all these things, it can be very informative, but it could also be a little overwhelming for people. So if they're thinking, man, hey, I want to save for my kids for college, but I'm really kind of not doing that great on my retirement. What's more important for young parents to think about? Simplicity, right? It's like... Well, with all finances, with all personal finance, I think that too many of us don't talk about money. We don't address money. Uh, life gets in the way. I mean, too often, it's like people are not looking at their 401k plan even to figure out, like, do I need to change my investment mix? Because you just don't look at it. There are too many things going on. It's like you've got projects at work. You have to drive the kids to school. You have, right, you're going to soccer practice. You have things to do. And, um, yeah, everything gets, everything financially related can too easily be put on the back burner. So keep it simple. It's like wherever you can automate, automate, make sure that you participate. And, um, you know, from there, you're just trying to make little steps to tweak things. Like how can you make improvements? But the biggest thing is just doing it right. You've got to do it because, um, like we said earlier, time and compounding, that's where the magic happens. So don't not participate because you're giving up on those two things. That's going to hurt you. Absolutely. Well, let, let's, let's keep on that, that frame of simplicity um, to keep this, keep this thing easy, but people want to dive a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more. Was there, was there a book that you came across or a book that you've read recently where you know simplicity was the key and, and kind of kept things easy for people on investing? Oh, gosh. You know, one book that I really like is Peter Lynch's book. And this is like the first investment book that I ever read, One Up on Wall Street. 
And it's not talking about all the investment choices, but it is talking about simplicity in that Peter Lynch was at Fidelity. He was running their one of their most successful mutual funds for many, many years. And his, his whole approach was like, invest in what you know. And he's in, he, he was invested. He was a stock picker, right? He was investing in individual companies. But the message is one that it's like stores that you're going to a lot and that your family is buying from. Like you have a familiarity there and you kind of see it's like why the company is doing well, why it's popular, what you like about that brand. It's like he's saying invest in what you know. Don't be doing things that are too exotic. And the whole idea, he talks about compounding too. He talks about like uh, 10 baggers, meaning that companies that you invest in and you can increase your money 10 times. Um, Those are your kachunkers? <laughs> that's like kachunker, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I like the book for uh, the simplicity and it's an investor's book. It's like, don't make it so complicated. It's like you look around, what are you buying? Maybe you like Apple products, so you should own some Apple. And, um, yeah, then, then it, it, it's kind of easier to do some research too, because you have interest there as a consumer <laughs> and then to be a shareholder too. It's like a bonus. You're like, all right, I want this company to do well because it's going to benefit my, uh, my investments. Absolutely. Well, that, that's great. I, I, um, I had one more question before we go, you know, you, you spent a lot of time talking about money. You're, you're in the investing world. And sometimes people think, hey, the, the experts are always, always have it right and they have no problems. What, what's one big financial mistake that you've made in your life with regard to money? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I have more than one. I mean, <clears throat> I kind of laugh because in investing, whether you're picking stocks or you're picking funds, it's always about managing risk, which means how do you make fewer mistakes? We all make a lot of mistakes. But if you can limit your mistakes... That's how you're going to win at the end, which is kind of like sports too, right? It's like, all right, I'm going to make a lot of errors, but let me try to learn from them as quickly as possible and limit the errors because if I can do that better than my opponent, then you're going to win the game. As a financial advisor, too often it's like the shoemaker. It's like the shoemaker's kids have no shoes because the shoemaker's too busy making shoes for the customers. So yeah, I, I had an element of that. I think that certainly in my 30s, we're always paying attention to our clients' accounts. And then at, at year end, I would look and say, hey, look, the clients did really well. Wait a minute. My own account, I'm not paying attention to. <laughs> and you know that <laughs> that's terrible. So yes, with age comes wisdom. And we would actually have... Because I'm in a family business. I work with my father. He founded Running Me Capital. I work with my brother... And we have meetings, we have investment team meetings, and we would say, wait a minute, you know what? The, this is a great company. All of our clients own this company. How come we don't own this in our own portfolio? So it's working on things like that, that we make sure that we don't want uh, the shoemaker's kids to have no shoes. I it's like, it. we have to participate too. We can't miss out. Time and compounding is important. So we have to make sure that we are taking care of our finances as well as for our clients. I love that. You know, my, my takeaway from that, Andy, is that uh, if I don't take advantage of the advice that you gave me today, then I am not taking advantage of the information that I have. So I like that. <laughs> I like that, my friend. 
Very cool. So, uh, Andy, are you guys are you guys taking clients right now at Runnymede? Is this uh, is this an opportunity for us to you know send people your way and and, and get some more business? Or where, where are you guys right now with uh, with Runnymede? Absolutely. No, we it, like I said, it's a family business. My father started it 25 years ago, so it's like father and sons. And um, with the second generation in place, me and my brother, we definitely want to grow the company. We're constantly trying to figure out how do we take the knowledge that our father has taught us about investing. He was previously director of research at the Bank of New York. He ran their money management subsidiary where he was managing their pension fund and outside clients. So that's what we do. I mean, we manage portfolios for people. We do some financial planning for people to help them to plan for retirement. And uh, yes, we want to reach, we want to help as many people as possible. So yes, we're taking on new clients. We're fee-only advisors. So we're not selling products. We don't get paid commissions. Our interests are aligned with that of our clients. We want to grow their money and protect their money. And um, that's we get paid on that. So that's great. Well, we that's, think it's very fair. That's great. That's that's the kind of partner you want, everybody. It's uh, somebody that's there that's looking for you and not trying to sell you products that you don't need. So if you want to dip your toes in the water and learn a little bit more about Andy, uh, you guys have a, a great podcast. Uh, can you tell us where people can find that? Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Um, the company website, Runnymede Capital, is runnymede.com. That's R-U-N-N-Y-M-E-D-E.com. And if you cannot spell that or cannot remember how to spell that, it's much easier, inspiredmoney.fm, which will take you to the same place. And um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with the Inspired Money podcast because it's money-related, but I get to talk to all kinds of interesting people to put money in a positive light so that it really inspires us to have conversations about money, to think about our money, to address our personal finances. And uh, it's just a lot of fun talking to different people about money and, you know, what drives them, motivates them, what, where their passions are, and then get a little tips, tips from them on uh, how to succeed. Absolutely. Well, Andy, thanks so much for being here today. And I look forward to hanging out with you again at a conference. And uh, and have, we had some fun last year, guys, going out to restaurants and having a good time at the conference we go to, FinCon. So I'm looking forward to hanging out again, buddy. And uh, thanks so much for imparting some wisdom with us today. Well, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to hang out with you. Andy Hill is like the happiest, most enthusiastic person <laughs> uh, in a genuine way. So Yes, you're a great person to Thank talk you. to in the morning because <laughs> the rest of my day is going to be just like a little bit brighter. I love that. Well, that's what happens when you put two Andes together, right? Magic. <laughs> Magic. <laughs> Thanks again, man. Thanks, Andy. that's really cool that Andy is a part of a family business like that, working with his dad and his brother. A family business is definitely something that is on my bucket list. I think that's super cool. Here are my top three takeaways from my conversation with Andy Wong. Number one, take advantage of your workplace 401k. There are so many benefits to your workplace 401k or your 403b or 457. A traditional route of the traditional 401k, it lowers your taxable income and it allows your investments to grow tax deferred. So as an example, if you're making $100,000 per year and you contribute $10,000 to your traditional 401k, in the eyes of the government, you 
only make $90,000 that year. So you'll be taxed like you only made $90,000 that year. You just have to pay the taxes later on when you withdraw. Outside of the tax benefits, your employer just might match your contributions. That is free money. Take advantage of free money. (laughs) Number two, boring investing is awesome. (laughs) I loved Andy's analogy of the risky stocks or the cryptocurrencies. What did he say? Like a biotech stock, something like that. Having that be a really fun and exciting conversation to have. But in the long run, man, boring wins. Buy and hold low-cost passive index funds for the long haul, or buy and hold blue-chip stocks that have a consistent dividend that are producing, again, for the long haul. Honestly, I, I don't know a lot about individual stock buying. I don't do a lot of that myself, but I'm considering it and looking into it a little bit more. I just downloaded the, the Robinhood app, you know, the one where you can trade for free for generally just for some research because it's something that I'm new to and want to look into a little bit. I'm not sure if it's something that I'll do. It sort of goes against my stress-free investing credo, but it's for research. So if I do buy some individual stocks, I'll be buying them and holding them for the long haul. Anyway, major tangent there. (laughs) The point is invest in the unsexy stuff that is not volatile, that has a long, consistent track record that might be a little boring and hold them for a very, very long time. Number three, consider tax diversification with your investments. If you have the option, consider investing in both traditional as well as Roth. This way, you don't have all of your eggs in one basket. For example, Let's say you've only done the traditional route for your entire life, thinking that you'll be taxed at a lower rate when you're in retirement age, but you end up having a massively successful business or you continue your career later on in your life and you become a CEO and you're making big money and you're still in that high tax bracket. Maybe it would have been nice to have some of those taxes already taken care of early on in your life with a Roth. Who knows? Nobody knows what's going to happen in 20 or 30 years or 40 years, depending on how how old you are when you're listening to this. But if you consider a hybrid or a little bit of each of the traditional and the Roth, um, this this could give you a leg up in the future. Or it couldn't. (laughs) I don't know, because everyone's situation is different. And I like that as Andy's point of that. You need to know your situation. Only you know what is best for you. Or better yet, partner with someone who is a professional to walk you through what you need to do for your financial journey. You're not going to learn it from a podcast. You're not going to learn it from reading a blog. You're going to learn and understand your specific situation by diving deep and meeting with a professional. So those are my top three takeaways. Number one, take advantage of your workplace 401k. Number two, boring investing is awesome. And then number three, consider tax diversification with your investments. Thank you again, Mr. Andy Wong, for sharing your knowledge with us today. And as a quick reminder, everybody, which is perfect segue to what we were just talking about, this show is for entertainment purposes only. Be sure to seek out a professional 
for your specific financial situation, especially when it comes to investing. Before we go for the day, I'd like to ask you to do any one of these three things to support this show. Number one, connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. My handle for all of those is at Andy Hill MKM. The second thing would be to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player so we are hanging out every week. And then the last thing, share this episode with a friend who needs some help with investing for their future. You could text them, you could tell them at work, you could email them, whatever. Share it on your social media, that would be awesome. You can find this show and all the links and resources mentioned at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 131. That type of support, everybody, would be awesome. And if you're new to the show, I would highly recommend you check out session 116, the 10 steps to young family wealth and happiness. You can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash session 116. It is a great place to start. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Warren Buffett. The stock market is designed to transfer money from the active to the patient. Buy, hold, earn your dividend, and hold some more. Carpe diem. 